I know it's like the person who made the song was Italian American, but like, <laughs> isn't it still kind of like racist towards Italians? Like, if an Italian heard Dominic the Italian donkey, would they be happy about it? <laughs> mm, probably not. That should be our intro instead of um, our normal do 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 do. It should be like la 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 la, la. and then anybody who knows will know. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 20 of Ship of Magic, Crimpers. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's just so close to Christmas time that my brain, it's been a very long Monday. And I thought you were like, for some reason, trying to say Christmas. <laughs> Crimpers. Merry, Merry Crimpers. Crimpers. <laughs> Put that on your holiday card, kids. <laughs> <laughs> this is our first chapter of winter, so it is moving into cold weather here. Yes. And we start off um, and maintain this chapter through Althea and Brashen's points of views. It kind of switches off back and forth between them. And they are on their way back from the uh, the Barrens, right? The islands. Yeah. That they... I think that's what the islands were called. I don't remember. That's bad. It was not that long ago. Yeah. Skipping my mind too. Anyways, they are stopped in a uh, kind of a trading town, but it's a not well-traveled or super well-traveled or very upstanding. It's called Nook. It is on the outer passage, so not in between the islands um, and not in the Pirate Isles area, just on the outside, because it's one of the few places that still has a port on the out- outer passage. And they are stopping there because their water is really bad and has green scum in it, so they had to restock. Otherwise, they would not have stopped otherwise. So they have... They're in port. They have their ship full of all of the salted meats and the hides and everything like that. And they are spending some time in a tavern. Yeah. Um, I do want to make one quick comment that has nothing to do with the book before getting down to business. But I do want to say Robin Hobb was a visionary in thinking about Nook's Islands, considering the hype that (laughs) (laughs) the Animal Crossing had with Okay. Animal Crossing Islands <laughs> in the year 2020. Anyway. <laughs> yes, visionary. <laughs> visionary. She was ahead of her time. She knew that Tom is Tom sitting Nook, around there somewhere. If Tom Nook had an island, it would pop off. And she was right. So maybe she's a white herself. With vagabonds. <laughs> you know what? There are some, some sketchy characters in Animal Crossing. True. Anyway. Um, I think what's really interesting about this chapter at least for the first page and a half for me is that you don't really know who is talking yet and it gets into a part where it starts talking about Athel the ship boy and so obviously it's not Althea and it could be Brashen but the way it's talking about Althea as Athel is so very like that's the ship's boy and using he pronouns. And so it's kind of almost still ambiguous until right after 
that paragraph starts and then it goes into Althea's convincing. So I think that's a really interesting thing that Robin Hobb has done in starting us in this new season chapter section. I don't know what you want to call it. This new part of the book. Yeah. To just have this ambiguity of, wait, where are we? What's going on? I don't know. Yes. Kind of sets it up in a page and a half rather neatly. Yeah. Instead of jumping right in. So we have that description of Athel, the ship's boy, how he was somewhat popular now because he was doing really well at his job. He excelled on the island. He's kind of refusing to dice. Um, they were talking about the wages that people would earn. All the, the crew is very happy with what they've done. They're on their way back home. It's been 15 months since they first set out from Candletown, so not from Bingtown where Brashen and Althea got on, but... Some of these sailors have been on there for more than a year. They're ready to earn their bonuses and the hunters and skinners get extra bonus on top for the work that they did. But Athel, the ship's boy, worked in both, so gets a little bit on top of that, but still refuses to dice and gamble and is playing very shy and coy and seems to be more popular with the ship's crew as of now. And when asked why not uh, or where, you know, where... Athel would uh, bunk now because she was kind of accepted into the skin. Well, he was kind of accepted into the skinners and hunters. Athel refused and stayed with the crew and kind of was also asked then, you know, aren't you going to be a skinner and hunter from now on? Because they get to laze around and then make a bunch of money at the end. Right. And Athel says, I'd rather be a sailor. Sailor can ship out on any kind of vessel, but hunters and skinners, they have to come north at least once a year. This is my first time north. Didn't like it much. It was actually the best answer he could have given. Hunters and skinners were left admiring themselves for how tough they were, while the sailors nodded approvingly to themselves at the wisdom of his choice. Brashen had to wonder if Althea had taken all that into account, or simply made a lucky decision. He watched her across the tavern. She sat at the end of a bench, nursing the same mug of dark beer that she'd first ordered. She nodded to the talk at the table, she laughed in all the right places, and she looked convincingly bashful when the whores approached her. She was, he thought, finally a member of the ship's crew. Yeah, so Althea is really crafty and is using her brain and is working the people in a way that keeps her safe. And I think it's not super fair of Brashen to be shocked by this or to feel like it's maybe just luck that she said the right thing. I feel like Althea is a lot more aware of her situation and aware of the surroundings at this point. And so I don't think it's that weird to say that she planned this excuse out. Like she thought about it ahead of time and was like, this is what's going to work. But I also think that goes towards a really interesting idea that I definitely noticed this chapter is Brashen has this fascination with luck that is kind of similar to what Kenneth does, except he doesn't have the luck Kenneth does. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really interesting because he also talks about luck as something that you shouldn't doubt and that you should like at when your luck's good, you can't let go of that. You need to keep going. And so I think that's really interesting that we have two characters that talk about luck and one is a lot more lucky than the other. But here Brashen seems that everything is done by luck and that you kind of just have to get lucky to do things. And 
I think that's so interesting comparison to Althea, who is working really hard and not really any of what she does or can accomplish is based off of luck. It's based off of her being willing to do the thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, that's the same thing with Brashen too. The luck doesn't really matter. doesn't come to an account. He thinks of it like that because he's a superstitious sailor, but mm-hmm. it's all on the back of what he can accomplish, really. True. And Brashen is kind of introspectively thinking about Althea and how she, as Athel, has stepped up and has changed perspective since the slaughter fields, since she found something that she excelled at so greatly and has come back and really taken a hold of herself and got a new wind. And we kind of saw that through Althea's perspective as well, where she was like, I'm finally good at something. She was really down on herself the previous few chapters, sailing to those uh, islands. And when she got there and when she finally was able to skin things and realize that she was really good, I mean, we talked about it. We could really tell that she had the full wind in her sails at that point and was very proud of herself. And, you know, finally maybe getting over Kyle was right about me kind of attitude. Right. So Brashen is kind of remarking on that. And even though he doesn't know the full depth of her thoughts, he can see the ship's boy, Athel, taking more tasks that require more dexterity and nimbleness rather than just brute strength. It's still not, you know, competing as well against the men on the ship, which is expected, but also it's expected for a ship's boy not to compete with the men on for brute strength on board either. So she was excelling in that one area and really acclimating herself with the rest of the crew as well, because she can, she shows expertise in some things now. It's, it's kind of, uh, sorry to cut you off, but I was going to say, this is like one of the first parallels that I noticed with the last chapter with Wintrow. We, I'll bring it up a couple more times and you kind of made a parallel already between Brashen and Kenneth, but Wintrow and Althea really kind of mirror each other with vivacious thinking about Wintrow's finally fitting in. He's excelling at some things here and then something bad happens, obviously, with Wintrow's, but there's quite a few comparisons you can draw between the two in these two chapters. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting is the fact that Althea is kind of feeding off of the crew, trusting her more, just like Wintro did. And we have here this mention of the fact that because she did well in one thing, it really helped the crew realize that eventually she would be good at others, although in their minds, it's a young boy who will eventually grow taller and stronger. And so, of course, will be better, um, which isn't necessarily what's going to happen. But Brashen remarks that at least uh, this year it will last. And if she wanted to, she could maybe do it for a few more and pretend to be a ship's boy. Yeah, saying that he underestimated her. She'd survive this voyage so long as she kept on as she had begun. Not that she could spend many years sailing as a boy, but she'd get by for this one, at least. But he does admit to himself, yeah, like, she is acclimating herself well, and she's doing a lot better than I thought. Right. And then we are drawn back into what is the present, which is in this nook where they are in a tavern, and there's a barmaid 
refilling Brashen's cup. And he makes mention that this barmaid is remarkably beautiful, which not that the other women who are whores are not, but she's just like a special kind of beautiful. And she's staying away from the men who are trying to disrespect her. And she's able to swiftly move in and out of the crowd. And he just makes the the comment that it's odd that her father who owns the tavern would let her be here considering how pretty she is. Right. And does note that she kind of weaves in and out and can brush aside some of the advances made by drunken sailors. Right. But he is watching her and she does pause when she gets to Athel, this barmaid. She smiled as she questioned the ship's boy. Althea made a show of glancing into her mug and then allowing the girl to refill it for her. The smile the tavern girl gave the supposed lad was a great deal friendlier than she had offered the other customers. Rashin grinned to himself. Althea did make a likely-looking boy, and the bashfulness the ship's boy professed probably made her more alluring than most. Rashin wondered if the discomfort Althea exhibited was entirely feigned. So we have a little... Little insight to Brashen thinks the barmaid is sweet on Athel, the ship's boy, and Athel and Althea are playing very coy and, and reserved, as always, just trying not to draw too much attention, not trying not to talk too much. Right. And it is really interesting to see this all from Brashen's point of view. I would be really curious to see what Althea's thinking. Brashen does mention that the cup of ale that Althea has in her hands. She's been nursing all night. She hasn't really been actually drinking. She's just kind of playing pretend, which is really good because it's not really safe for her to lose her wits. Like it's not a good place for her to accidentally get too drunk and reveal herself. So she is keeping things on the down low that she's not as drunk as everybody else. But the barmaid did refill her mug once, so even though she's not really drinking, she has had one mug of beer, of ale, which is important to note for later as well. Yes. Yeah. So Brashen is kind of leaning back. He's feeling very warm. He's feeling relaxed. He has, uh, he's unbuttoning his shirt, anxiety of a sailor's constant companion eased in him, and he knows that he's going to be more comfortable money-wise at the end of this journey than he has before. Not that he'd be so foolish as to spend it all. No, this time at least, he'd hearken back to Captain Vestret's advice and set a bit by for himself. So it's back to what Paragon knows of Brashen. Basically, I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to save up for my future. And then when he's back in Bingtown, he'll drink it all away and whatever. So... We see in Brashen's mind that, yep, this is the time. This one, I'm going to do it for sure. Right. Who knows if that actually would be this time or if it would change, but. Yeah, he's at least hopeful, which is good. Um, But it kind of feels like Brashen is just hopeful because he doesn't actually have the money yet. And he can't make a mess of things. Right. So, um, but it is really interesting to think about how he is considering that he will have more money than he normally has. Um, And he's not really sure what the next steps look like for him. He could potentially stay on one more year and get another good pay, but he thinks potentially just this one year is enough 
especially because he has third mate status that he could go to a different ship and get paid just as much, if not more. Yeah. Uh, and especially on a merchant ship, ship, something cleaner, faster, you know, going from port town to port town, right. less dangerous than this. But then we learn that all of these optimistic thoughts and his him feeling warm with all those worries easing away is because he is chewing on Sindin. He has a Sindin pack in the, in the bottom of his lip right now and it's burning away. And Brashen says it, it was as potent as the seller had promised to eat through his skin that fast. He had another mouthful of beer to cool it. It had been years since he'd indulged in Sindin. Captain Vestrit had been an absolute tyrant on that point. If he even suspected a man of using it on shore or on ship, he'd check his lower lip. Any sign of a burn put him off the ship at the next port with no pay. He'd won the small plug earlier at a gaming table, another amusement he hadn't indulged in much of late. But damn it all, there came a time when a man had to unwind, and this was as good a time as any. He hadn't been irresponsible. He'd never bet anything he couldn't lose. And he kind of talks about having pretty good luck in the gaming table, almost losing it all at one point, and then gaining it back slowly to where he got enough coin to buy his beers and enough coin to get that Sindin as well. No, the Sindin was a prize. Sure, yeah, yeah. Was also part of the prize there. So he came out ahead of it a little bit, and he's saying that he almost felt bad about winning that. The fellows he had fleeced of the coin and Sindin were the mate and steward of the Jolly Gal, another oil ship in the harbor. Only the Jolly Gal had an empty hold and full kegs of salt. She and her crew were just on their way out to the killing grounds. This late in the season, they'd have a hard time filling her up. Wouldn't surprise Brash if she stayed on the grounds the season through, going from sea bear to small whale. Now there was ugly, dangerous work. Damn glad he wouldn't be doing it. His winning tonight was a sign. He was sure of it. His luck was getting better, and his life was going to straighten itself out. Oh, he still missed the vivacia and old Captain Vestrit saw cradle him, but he'd make a new life for himself. So we get a little bit of insight into another ship in port as well, one that has been here for a few days, and they have not headed out yet. Yeah, so it's really interesting that the people that he feels he fleeced are the jolly gal, considering we know that they're the ones who are um, stealing people. Yes, they're the crimpers. Uh huh. And I wonder if they let people win to get information out of them and then they know they're going to hit them later. So they're just going to get their money back essentially. Yeah, possibly. But either way, it's really interesting because we have this little aside of what seems at first as not important, just that there is another ship and it seems unwise that they have started this late. Yeah. Yeah. He says he drank the last of the beer in his mug, then rubbed at his eyes. He must have been wearier than he thought he was to feel so suddenly sleepy. Sindin usually enlivened him. It was the hallmark of the drug, the benign sense of well-being, coupled with the energy to have fun. Instead, he felt as if the most wonderful thing that could have happened to him now could be a warm, soft bed. So... I just want to ask really quickly, do you think Sindin as a drug is related to kerosene? It's not really clear ever, but it's also not 
I, I would personally say no because I feel like Kara Seed gives you way more energy than Sindin ever seems to, and Sindin is going directly to your bloodstream by eating its way in through your like lip and your gums. Mm. So, and this one is potent, and it's obviously he's also drugged. Brashen is drugged in his ale. We'll get to that, but right. <laughs> uh, it's not really livening him up that much. And later he says it lasts a short while, while kerosene, depending on how much you have, lasts for a long time. So I feel like no, they're not related. They might do have similar effects, right? But I wouldn't say they're they're related. Interesting. Okay. Well, he is building this paradise, this dream in his head of a warm, soft bed that is dry. And all of a sudden, the tavern maid is in front of him once again, grinning at or smiling at him and gesturing at his mug. Rashen's like, oh, yeah, it is empty again. And then he's like, oh, I'm out of coin. That's fine. You know, I have to leave port tomorrow anyways. And she's, you know, sympathizing with him. Oh, tomorrow in this blow, it's like going to storm. And he's like, yeah, storm or no, we have to go out and face it and get home. And she says, home. Then this one is on me to a swift trip home for you and all your crew. Slowly, he removed his hand from the top of his mug and watched her pour. Truly, his luck was changing. And she, again, is asking, like, hey, you're from the same ship as those men over there, right? The Reaper? And it's like, yep, that's us. And continues asking a question. You're the third mate. You're Brashen. And he's being very flattered. He's like, yeah, that's me. My well, luck is changing. <laughs> <laughs> she asks first if he is the mate, meaning I assume the first. And he clarifies he's actually the third. And then she knows that that means he's Brashen, which... To any sober person would be a little bit of a red flag. At least I would think any sober person, I don't know, Brashen kind of seems to think that a pretty woman giving him attention is great. So there was something flattering about a woman knowing his name before he knew hers. Yeah. Something fishy is going on, right? <laughs> and like, it's weird that this beautiful woman who seems out of place enough for Brashen to notice is now hitting on Brashen after the last time we saw her, she was kind of unfriendly towards him. And also now she suddenly knows everything about him and is giving him free ale, which seems weird for a small town who would probably want to make money. And he's way t more tired than he thinks he should be. It's just a lot of things that are little red flags that are adding up to one big red flag. Mm -hmm. And Brashen doesn't notice. Yeah, as we said, he has been drugged and he has been sipping Sindin and drinking all night. So uh, she is continuing asking about how good the crew is. You know, at the full hold, right? Must be a good crew. And Rashen's like, yeah, good enough. And then the barmaid brings up Athel saying, that's your ship's boy on the end there. He's not much of a drinker. No, he's not. Doesn't talk much either. I noticed, she said ruefully. She took a breath and suddenly asked, is it true what they say about him? That he can skin sea bears near as fast as they shoot them? And Brashen's like, oh yeah, she is into Athel. <laughs> That's kind of funny. And then makes a, a jest saying that Athel skins him faster than they can shoot him. And, you know, he's he's having fun with it. He's being a little flirty here. And she gives him a light push saying, oh, you. Relaxed as he was, he had to catch at the bar to keep from falling. 
Oh, sorry, she cried and caught at his sleeve to help him right himself. Which, again, another warning there. Right. It literally says she gives him a playful push. (laughs) Yeah, so clearly she's trying to see how drugged he is at this moment. How good his senses are working. Yeah, and he says, It's all right. I'm just more tired than I thought I was. Are you? She asked more softly. She waited until his eyes met hers. Her eyes were blue and deeper than the sea. There's a room in back with a bed. My room. You could rest there for a while if you wanted to lie down. Just before he was certain of her meaning, she cast her eyes aside and down. She turned and walked away from him. He picked up his mug again just as he sipped from it. She said over her shoulder, Just let me know if you want to. She paused as she was, looking back at him, one eyebrow raised quizzically. Or was it invitingly? A man's luck turning is, the favor- is like a favorable tide. One has to make the most of it while it's there. Rashin drained off the last of his mug and stood up. I'd like that, he said quietly. It was true. Whether the author offer of a bed included the girl or not, it sounded very good. What was there to lose? Obviously a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is really interesting to see Brashen in this position because of how stern he has been with Althea in thinking and saying that she knows so little of the world and that she doesn't know to be careful And here he is in a port that is in the middle of nowhere where he doesn't really know the area very well. And he is not really taking care of himself. (laughs) He is putting himself in a position that is easier to take advantage of and he doesn't even realize it. So I think that juxtaposition is kind of funny, especially when he's like, I can't believe Althea is way more capable than I thought of her. Like he is drugged. I mean, to be fair. <laughs> sure, but I'm just saying, like, he's put so much on her about, like, the world's a much scarier place than you could ever realize. And then, like, immediately, <laughs> first time on port in a while, and he's like, I'm going to do drugs and drink and gamble and also just inv- listen to any pretty girl that invites me to their room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's very interesting. But I, what I think is most interesting is how much information this woman has that Brashen isn't even realizing that's weird. And I also think it's a little bit weird that they are going after Brashen. Like why do they want Brashen on the ship too? You know what I mean? I don't understand what it is about him that would have like what part of his, like what part of his reputation would have preceded him enough to where they're like, yeah, let's, replace one of our missing crew members with him well obviously he's very good at what he does he was first made on a live ship trader true you know and but they uh, don't know that no but he's obviously a very good sailor i'm just saying fair, that fair in enough. general okay he's an excellent sailor and even though vivacious like yeah gantry's a good sailor too prashan was better and he's younger than gantry true He's he's a very, very good sailor, so he probably got that reputation, and he's also sitting alone in the bar. Fair enough. So, easier target. And we shift perspectives over to Althea now. Same bar. They're in a separate group, but she is surrounded by a few other sailors, one of which is Reller, who we know before, who was looking after Althea on Brashen's behest. And 
Reller is being the responsible one saying like, one more round, then we got to go back to the ship. We got to get up early. We got to sail out. Some of the sailors are like, no, 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 no. You go back. We'll, we'll follow you. And is about to pass out on the table. And Reller is like, none of that. <laughs> uh, you, we've had enough. Like, let's get going. Right. We're not, nobody's staying behind tonight. We're going to go home. Yep. No passing out here. And people are kind of upset at this. They're like, you know, this is the first time that we've not had to be on the ship. Why would we go? And Reller explains that he was given a tip off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deckhand from the turn gave me a warning earlier. You know, that jolly gal tied up to the lee of us? Crew had the red heaves before they got here. They lost seven men. The skipper has been about town for three days trying to hire on more crew, but with no luck. Word is that he's getting desperate. They got to get out of the ground, out to the grounds. Every day they stay here is likely another week they'll have to spend hunting. Fingers from the turn told me our crew would be wise to stick together and sleep on board tonight. One of their hunters has gone missing for two days now, and you know what they think. So when we go back to the ship, we all go back together. Unless you want to wake up northward bound on the jolly gal. Crimpers? Jord asked in a sort of horror. Working here in Nook? Where better? Reller asked in a low voice. Mando come back to his ship on time. No one's going to stay tied up here to look for him. Easy to lay in an alley. Pick off a few tars from a homebound vessel. The poor sots wake up back on the hunting waters. I tell you, this isn't a town where a sailor should walk about alone. And Jord, the other sailor who wanted to stay for another round, is like, okay, I'm have enough. Let's get back to the ship. And Ruller's like, okay, where's Brash? And Althea is not very happy. <laughs> right. And says, he went with a girl, I think. Althea spoke up for the first time. She heard the disapproval in her voice and saw the faces turn toward her in surprise. One I thought was looking at me, she added sourly. Let's go. The beer here tastes like piss anyway. So, obviously, she's not happy seeing Brash and walk off with a with another woman, right? But also, we get the tip off here that crimpers are working, and they're the ones who, their ship's crew, who steal other crew to fill out, <laughs> fill out their ship and get their work done. Yeah, I do wonder if this is like a jealousy thing that Althea is upset seeing Brash and with someone else, or if this is like a distaste. Thing that she is not a fan of because on when it was her father's ship, he would have never. You know what I mean? If this well, is she one of the- thought he did, though. <laughs> right? Like, in the beginning, she always thought, like, oh, brash, and of course he would just go drinking and gambling and sure, go with I whores get- and stuff. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> but maybe that's more of just a reputation she's heard about him rather than one she's seen. True, true. And now she's actually seeing it, and it's like, wow, okay, well disappointing but sure. i always read it as jealousy Interesting. just based on the chapter that we're in and everything fair enough i just think it's odd to go from where they were at the beginning of this voyage to now all of a sudden she's jealous about what he does with other women well I, i've talked about this before uh i i think that she did like him for pretty much the whole time that she was on the ship or had a crush on him but because of what Kyle was saying and her deep-seated hatred of Kyle saying like, oh, your father only put Brashen on here because he wants to pair you up with this person or whatever. She is like, no, I hate Brashen. He's the worst. And was just reflexively pushing back against that well, because of her desire to 
be outside of Kyle's explanations and box that he puts her in. I mean, maybe, but Kyle's only sailed with them for one year and they have been sailing together for more than one year. So you're saying that like 15, 16 year old Althea had a crush on him. And then two years later, when Kyle comes aboard, she's like, actually, never mind, because you're making too big of a deal about it. Kyle's probably been saying stuff to her for a long time. She says in this chapter that his attitude towards her changes when she's 14. Right. So she could be saying things or he could be saying things to her. And like, I don't know, because he's probably had opinions on hiring Brash and on as a deckhand. Maybe. I don't know. I, I just don't feel like Kyle would say anything while her dad was alive and I don't know when he would get her alone without her dad around while he was alive. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. I mean, obviously he did get her alone cause she hates him and they've had prior bad experiences before going the start of this book on the ship. So yeah, I don't know. I, that's, that's just what I have been thinking since the beginning. I mean, I've yeah. mentioned it before on the podcast too. I, I think she's had feelings for Brashen for a little bit, but she's hidden them them from herself. Sure. In some way. Either way, we now have information that there is something fishy going on. And the last part of the chapter that we've read in Brashen's point of view is a little bit more scary now because he has followed somebody away when they know that it's a crimper area. And I don't want to sound like I don't know anything, but have you ever heard the word crimper before? Is this a made up Robin Hobb word? I think it's a made up Robin Hobb word, but I could be wrong. And I might have heard it in terms of people just snatching up people for work. But again, like a previous thing I mentioned, I think a couple episodes ago, I could be remembering that from my rereads of this book. Right. So I'm not sure. Okay, well, whenever I googled crimper, it just shows the tool and also the hair styling. Yeah. Um, tool. I'll, I guess I'll assume tools, it. But. I'll assume it's made up for this. Okay. It's just whenever I read it, I was like, "Am I just the dumbest person alive? I don't feel like I've ever heard this <laughs> term before." And sometimes I can't tell if that's just because I've actually just never read the term, or if it's because it's made up because this is a fantasy world. So just thought I'd ask. It's a fantasy book. I just take everything in stride and be like, that's made up for this. <laughs> <laughs> but Athel doesn't want to finish his beer and because he says it tastes like piss. And George, the other sailor, is like, oh, you're not going to finish it? I'll down it then. Downs right. the beer. And they walk out together. They say, oh, Brashen. They believe um, Athel saying Brashen walked off with a girl, so he'll be back. He's fine. He's just with a woman right now. Which also... Um, you just got done talking about right. how there's a crimper area. Why wouldn't you go check on him right now? Why would you be like, oh, no, no, you know what? Yeah, sure, maybe there's crimpers and we need to not ever separate and nobody goes alone. But also, Grashen's fine. We'll yeah. leave him alone. Who cares? <laughs> like, what? Also, we have a comment from Jord here after he finishes Athel's beer saying, ew, guess you got the bottom of the cask or something, which is another hint towards, yeah, this was drugged. It was spiked with something and spiked stronger because the barmaid knows that Athel isn't drinking. Right. So we get some more hints towards that way. 
and uh, Althea peeks outside. They start walking out, and the innkeeper runs after Althea, uh, saying, Hey, you Athel, Grashen wants you. He's had a bit much to drink. Come and haul him out of here. And Althea's like, wonderful, great, perfect. Let me just go drag drunk Brashen back to the ship. Reller's like, okay, meet us back at the ship. We're all going to get back together. It's going to be great. And she's very angry. And following direction from the innkeeper, pointing in the room, saying, he's in there, nearly passed out on one of the girls. Which, it's his daughter. (laughs) Yeah. But just saying one of the girls. Yeah. Because he's in on the scheme. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely sketchy. I also love that Althea, the whole way back, first of all, it's cold and rainy outside. So she's had to go out. It's wet and cold. And now she has to come back in and she's dripping wet. And she's just thinking about how, like, isn't that just great that Brashen would abuse his power in this way? And he's going to, of course, she has to help him because she is the ship's boy. So no matter what, she's going to have to drag him through the cold. And I'm not looking forward to that. And on top of that, if he throws up, I'll have to be the one that cleans it up. It's awful. This is the worst. I hate Brashen. And she is led to the room where he is. Yeah. And it's a... Dimly lit chamber, there was a bed and a tavern maid with her blouse unlaced. The girl was bent over Brashen as Althea came in. She looked up at Althea and smiled helplessly. I don't know what to do, she said, still smiling. Won't you help me? Perhaps if Althea had been truly a ship's boy, she would have been distracted by the girl's bared breasts and would simply have stepped into the room. She probably would not have stared at Brashen as she did, thinking that he did not look like a man passed out in a bed, but rather like a man who had been struck down and then arranged on a bed. In that momentary pause, she caught a flicker of motion to her left. She dodged back, catching the blow on the side rather than the top of her head. The club crashed into the top of her shoulder as well, numbing her right arm down to her fingertips. She staggered forward with a cry as the man who had clubbed her slammed the door shut behind her. The girl was in on it. Althea grasped that instantly, and spurred by her pain, she struck the tavern maid in the face as hard as she could with her left hand. It was not her best punch, but the girl seemed shocked as much as hurt. So the man is yelling, you heartless little bastard, and swings at Althea. She ducks, springs for the door behind him. She managed to pull it partway open and yell, crimpers, with every bit of breath in her body. A white flash of light knocked her to the floor. So, Tavermaid in on it, Innkeeper obviously in on it, because it's one of the girls and it was his daughter. Right. <laughs> but then this other man in here as well, trying to knock them out. What's super interesting to me is that Althea's first plane of action was like, well, gotta punch the girl in the face. And I mean, I guess maybe if you think about it, like, the girl's gonna probably be less prepared for a punch, number one, and number two still a threat if she isn't taken care of that you just kind of have to like gamble the get rid of one component so that you can focus on the worse one and she she just entered the room and the man hit her and then shut the door so she was stumbling forward so she went right by the tavern maid right so the guy wasn't close by and she's like well she's in on it <laughs> Might as well hit her. <laughs> just like i first of all i got to say this because i'm always 
the party pooper, but I do not condone violence. I don't think it's a good thing, but as these are fictional characters and no one is actually hurt, it is a little funny. <laughs> <laughs> like She's like, it wasn't even a good punch, but she screamed, so... <laughs> <laughs> and like the description of this girl being shocked that she got hit also a little bit funny. Cause it's like, well, what do you expect? You're trying to kidnap people and you're ruining people's lives and you're shocked that somebody's fighting back. And I guess maybe because men, especially a boy that they think that Althea is would be so far away from somebody you'd expect to punch a woman in a face, especially yeah. like after who they've been, like they've been stalking him all night. He doesn't really seem like the kind of boy that's going to do something to a woman untoward. And like also a boy who is not distracted by bare breasts. So right. Can dodge and then punch somebody. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's just like, there are a lot of factors in it, but I don't know. I just, the irony of this woman being, so shocked yeah is like really <laughs> you, you thought you'd get out on skate like why did you do this then? <laughs> well, they got a pretty good scheme going it seemed to work for them so far because as althea is waking back up she hears voices saying one from the turn the one they've been looking for he was tied up in the beer cellar one from the carlisle and these two from the reaper so they had four total sailors already if they had caught brashen and ethel and they also say the voice also says there's a couple more out back with some earth scraped over them probably hit them too hard tough way for a sailor to go there was a shrug in the second voice that replied well tough is true but we never see him never seem to run out of them there's men's legs and boots in front of her face close enough to step on her she tipped her head up to look at them and they're townsmen wearing heavy leathers against the storm's chill she pushed pushed against the floor and on her second try, she managed to sit up. She, Her vision is rocking in front of her. It's very hard for her to move about and get her balance here. And one of the voices observing, hey, the boy's coming around. What did you hit Peg's girl for, you sot? She was the bait. She's in on it, Althea said slowly. Men. Couldn't they even see what was right in front of their faces? Maybe, maybe not, the man replied judiciously. Can you stand? I think so. I'm bleeding as she touches her head. So your mate's still in there. And no one else greatly interested, she she remarks. Your mate's still in there, the man in the boots told her. Better get him out of here and back to your ship. Peg's plenty mad at you for punching his daughter. Didn't no one ever teach you any matters about women? Peg's in on it too if it's going on in his back room and beer cellar, Althea pointed out dully. Peg? Peg's run this tavern for ten years, I know about. I wouldn't be saying such wild things if I were you. It's your fault all his chairs and tables are busted up, too. You aren't exactly welcome here anymore. I see, she told the man. I'll get Brashen out of here. Obviously, Nook was their town, and they'd run it as they saw fit. She was lucky the tavern had been full of other sailors who weren't fond of crimpers. These two townsmen didn't seem overly upset about how Peg made his extra money. She's kind of woozily waking up. She obviously has a head injury that is bleeding pretty badly. And the townsmen step in because they kind of have to. And there's other sailors in the room that don't like crimpers that we're going to save her. So they're like, just get out of here. Like, right. yeah, we saved them. We found the sailors. Yay, leave. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. This really makes me think of Wintro and the bear in that it's pretty obvious to anyone with two brain cells that 
the guy who owns the tavern is in on this. And that also his daughter, who was with Brashen when he had passed out, is also in on it. Like, obviously, something shady's going on, and everybody around her is just like, no, that can't be. And it's really hard to tell how much of that is just, these are townspeople, maybe they're also in on it, they get some sort of cut, or if they just don't want to believe it, or if they're just so dumb that they've never even thought about it. I, I think it's the same attitude that Cress townspeople had about sailors, that they don't care. Sailors are their own business. Don't insult the townspeople that live here, which means Peg and his daughter. Like, Fair enough. I don't care what you guys get up to. Maybe maybe they are, but I literally don't care. Leave because you cause damage. Right. <laughs> I don't know, but it does it does feel very much like Wintrow and Cress, I think. Yeah, it just yeah. It has that same vibe of like... Althea is right and she's smart and she's telling the truth and she is not willing to fight it more than necessary, but she is willing to point it out to the group of people standing there <laughs> to I, be like, obviously he's in on it. Like, right. I think she, if she was in her right mind, she wouldn't have said that out loud though, because she would be able, been able to tell like these townsmen don't care. Right. And they said, you know, very callous things about the dead sailors that happened in the back. Like, right. Which, there's always seem to be more of them. We don't run out of the sailors. So that's why I, I more think it's like just a callous attitude and people who don't care about sailors because they come and go, they make a big fuss and whatever. Yeah. I don't know. It's super weird. I guess whatever. They're not, we're never going to see them again, but <laughs> it just still is like, a gross thing to think about a human life is like, well, they died and that sucks, but there'll be more like, sure. There'd be more townspeople too. If you died, like that doesn't make it less sad. Like somebody is going to miss that person. Probably. <laughs> I hope. Anyway, Althea decides to get brash in while she can. And she also thinks that, there's a potential that she wouldn't even be allowed to leave after what had happened because, but the only reason she is able is because there are the angry sailors around. Like she wonders if they weren't there, would they let her leave? Right. She goes in to get Brashen and Brashen is also very drugged up and woozy from getting hit on the head. And he's calling her Althea and he's like, it's Athel. Stop teasing me about my name out loud basically making it kind of like this is excuses right you know i know my name is close to a woman's don't call me the woman's name hint hint <laughs> right and saying the, the men outside the door don't seem too upset about pegs crimping the sooner we're out of here the better he caught the idea quickly for one as bleary as he looked and he's like okay we gotta leave you did skip over the part where he's eight steps behind and says I feel weird. I think they drugged the beer. And she's like, yeah, you idiot. Like, <laughs> of course they drugged the beer. <laughs> and he says, and I think I was sapped too with a hand to his back of his head, meaning being hit hard on the head <laughs> right. to knock him out. So she has to support most of his weight. Well, yeah, I would say most of his weight because she says that Feels like he's pushing her down <laughs> on as, purpose. Yeah, yeah, on purpose as as they're getting out of the bar, and he's very very slow. He's missing steps on the way down. They almost fall. He's saying, "You know, it's getting colder. 
And he's like, wow, man, the night started out so well. Saying like, stop a minute, Althea. I've got to go to the bathroom. And she's just like, it's Athel. And he's like, oh, sorry. And she's like, oh, you're still drunk. Like, it's fine, but. Like, be careful. Yeah, be please. careful. And he's like, I'm not drunk. There is something in the beer, I think. No, I'm sure of it. I'd have probably tasted it, but for the Sindin. You chew Sindin? Althea asked incredulously. You? Sometimes, Brashen said defensively. Not often. And I haven't in a long time. My father always said it's killed more sailors than bad weather, Althea told him sourly. Her head was pounding. Probably, Brashen agreed. As they passed beyond the buildings, they came to the docks he offered. You should try it sometime, though. Nothing like it for setting a man's problems aside. Right. He seemed to be getting wobblier. Not far to go now. I know. Hey, what happened back there in the tavern? And she has to say, like, you, we nearly got crimped. Like, yeah. I'll tell you about it later, but, you know, it was, it was bad. He's like, oh, okay. And then he brings up, hey, I was thinking about you earlier. Because he's, he's in that weird state of still being drugged, but coherent. <laughs> right. <laughs> Basically super drunk. It's written that way, at least. Yeah. And he says, I was thinking about you. You should go north. And no, 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 not slaughter boats like you're thinking. Way up north, past Chow said to the duchies. Up there, the ships are smaller, and they don't care if you're a man or a woman, so long as you work hard. That's what I've heard anyway. Up there, women captain the ships, and sometimes the whole damn crew are women. Barbarian women, Althea pointed out. They're more related to the out-islanders than they are to the rest of us, and from what I've heard, they spend most of their time trying to kill each other off. Brashen, most of them can't even read. They get married in front of the rocks, saw help us all. Witness stones, he corrected her. My father used to trade up there before they had their war, she went on doggedly. He said that they were more barbaric than the Chalcedians, that half their buildings didn't even have glass windows. So now we have our barbarian comment. Yes, this is what I was talking about, like, all of last series, or last trilogy. We have Fitz, who is so proud to not be a barbarian like the mountain folk and how they're so much more civilized. And then you go to Althea. Well, that, that's when he that was when he was like a teenager and he did go to the mountain kingdom and be like, oh, this place is actually decent. Right. No. <laughs> but he still thought they had barbaric ideas. Of, yes. Yeah. Like old people need to just like die, die alone, <laughs> like right. go in the cold and die, which is so sad. Well, yeah, we have Althea now. We have Althea now being like, uh, ew, they are barbarians. They don't know anything. And I think it's really. Also with like the racist, they're more alike to the out islanders than they are to us. Yeah. Like, which. <laughs> but also what? <laughs> like aren't, wouldn't they all be kind of the same? I don't know. That's why I'm saying it's racist because right. like they are. Yes, they are all humans. So. But in Althea's mind, the out islanders are something other. <laughs> They're they're, peak barbarian. Yes. Which is also interesting because they also have a matriarchal society. So you'd think she'd have a little more respect. No one knows that really, though. Oh, I suppose. Not even six duchies know that, really. Right. Well, either way. It's really interesting to get this view of the six duchies after we just spent time with Fitz. And it is a good point that not everybody's literate. And Fitz had made this comment before, I think, that... Or at least it's talked about a little in that 
people have to come to the castle to learn by the fire. Mm-hmm. And like, especially during winter that children all learn stories and not all of them are taught to read and write. It's more of like a aristocratic thing. Yeah. And there's a huge, you know, the small tertiary or, you know, four times removed subplot of, uh, what, what's his name? The, uh, scribe starts with an F. Fredwin? Yeah. Fredwin and, uh, Lady Patience trying to make a good paper out of something. Yeah, so it's easier to teach people. And meanwhile, we are sitting here and all of the ships have ships logs, log books. They have, you know, paper that they write contracts on. Like it's very accessible here. Right. So in a way, yeah, it is very far removed from any sort of technology up there. But uh, the Chelseans are more civilized. Well, yeah, maybe in I mean, terms of like infrastructure, because Althea even talks about like no glass windows and Brashen's like, that's only on the coast. And I've heard the inner cities are really beautiful, which, yeah, Tradeford is gorgeous. Yeah, even Fitz had to admit. But Althea's like, I'm going to be on the coast, so yeah. I don't care. <laughs> Doesn't really matter if inner duchies are pretty yeah. if you're never there, which is fair. But no, it is. It is an interesting thing. I guess we never really get to see what Chalcid is like, right? I don't think we spend any time in Chalcid. We, we do. Uh, that's in the Rainwald Chronicles when Selden is captured and then they go to the, uh, they're in the keep and he meets Chasim, the daughter of the Duke. Mm. And then she becomes the Duchess, the first Duchess or whatever of Chalcid. Right. But, we basically just see it from the top down. We don't see day-to-day life or even a, a middle class or even like an upper class. We just see like the top of the top. And prisoners. And prisoners, yes. Yeah, so like, yeah. I, I think what I meant more is like we don't really spend real time in Chalcid. It's not like yeah. the way we do in Bingtown right. or the Rainwilds or the Mountain Kingdom even. Yeah. I think B goes through there as well, but that's brief. Right. But yeah, yeah, we don't really spend like tons of time. So we have Brashen here kind of drunkenly, like, well, drunkenly, but he's drugged and hit on the head. He's like, yeah, you should go up north. And Althea's like, no, they're barbarians. That's a big no. Right. (laughs) And I will just say, at least those barbarians, quote unquote, do not have slavery and allow women to work and like earn their place and they don't have to just be men. Like they're barbarians. I don't know. Maybe, (laughs) maybe think about that one. (laughs) Who's the real barbarian. Yeah. Progress in the cost of what, you know? Yeah. So we have them getting back to the Reaper now and Brashen is still able to get up the gangplank pretty well, surprisingly for Althea actually. And, he kind of turns back into the mate and says, well, get some sleep, boy. We sail early. Yes, sir, she replied gratefully. She still felt sick and woozy. She turned and trudged away to the hatch. Once below, she found some of the few of the crew still awake and sitting around a dim lantern. What happened to you? Reller greeted her. Crimpers. They made a try for Brashen and me, but we got clear of them. They found the hunter off the turn, too, and a couple others, I guess. Saz balls, the man swore. Was the skipper from the Jolly Gal in it? In on it? Don't know. But Peg w- was for sure, and his girl. The beer was drugged. I'll never go in his tavern again. 
Damn, no wonder George's sleeping sound. He got the dose that was meant for you. Well, I'm heading over to the turn to hear what the hunter has to say. Me too. So a lot of the men who are even partially awake flock off to hear the gossip on a different ship. And Althea goes to her hammock and um, tries to get to sleep. Yeah. And I will say that I really appreciate this depiction of men flocking to gossip because I think so often that is like, I don't know, there's like a, a phrase of like hens clucking, which is what they used to say like back in the day for like women gossiping. So like seeing bird phrases around gossip, but then it's also like a male centered thing. I think it's actually really kind of fun to see as like, see, everybody likes gossip. Like, maybe not everybody, but it's not gender specific. And they're flocking over to the turn. Yeah. The to- bird. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very interesting and also very, very true to what the sailors we know so far would do. They want the story. They want the scoop. Yeah. And they're about it's to pretty get boring it. everywhere else. So. True. Might as well get all the good stories all you can. You got to tell them forever. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we switch back over to Brashen, who is into heading into his bunk, trying to, you know, light a lantern. He's moving very clumsily, slowly. He's sitting down. He's all but forgotten the aspect of Sindin in his mouth as like lip is burned. <laughs> He's hoping it's not ulcerating. I don't understand in this. Does he take the Sindin out of his mouth or does it dissolve? I don't know. It doesn't I, say. So this is something, I mean, it doesn't it, it really does matter. say that he saved some because yeah. that's in later, but I don't know. But yeah. So like. Seems like it dissolves. So I think of it like chewing tobacco and I personally have never done or had chewing tobacco, but I went to high school in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the country in America. So I knew a lot of people who did chewing tobacco (laughs) and I don't think that dissolves, does it? No, it releases a lot of juices and you have to spit that out, right? Yeah. Well, that's what I know. But then I guess I don't know if I've ever seen like actual tobacco itself spit anywhere just the spit yeah I'm not sure. spit. i don't know so maybe to, i don't know I just, Sindin, i'm gonna operate under the fact that it dissolves just because that's why he saves some well yeah i guess if you use send it maybe it's like gum where <laughs> like it loses its flavor maybe you know i, I don't know i don't know yeah. well, you're not supposed to choose it what would happen if you chewed send it but no just idea. not work no i don't know idea. Anyway, not important at all. Just random thoughts I had about the drug. So he's sitting down heavily on his bunk and begins to peel his coat off. And then he realizes that the cuff on his sleeve is full of blood. And he looks on the back of his head and feels a a lump there, but no blood. The blood wasn't his. He patted his fingers against the patch of it. Still wet, still red. Althea? He wondered groggily. Whatever they had put in the beer was still fogging his brain. Althea, yes. Hadn't she told him she'd been hit on the head? Damn her, why why hadn't she said she was bleeding? With a sigh of a deeply wronged man, he pulled his coat on again and went back out into the storm. He's shaking some people awake before he gets directed to Althea's bunk, her, her hammock, and makes sure to play up the part to her in front of the crew saying, come to my cabin, boy, and get your head stitched and stop your sniveling. 
I won't have you laying abed and useless for a week with a fever. Lively now, I haven't all night. He tried to look irritable and not anxious as she followed him out of the hold up to, onto the deck and then into his cabin. In his cabin, he could see how pale she was and how much blood there was, really, and he's immediately kind of seizing her by the shoulders, saying, like, what is the matter with you? Why didn't you tell me you were hurt? She had, he knew, and half expected that to be her reply. Instead, she just raised her a hand to her head and said vaguely, I was just so tired. And he kind of rummages through the medicine cabinet, trying to look for anything that would help, anything that's not moldy right. or worse than moldy. <laughs> and she's kind of fingering her scalp a little bit. Her fingers are wet with blood. And... It's obviously it's a scalp wound, so it's going to bleed a lot. And he knows that. Brashen knows that. It should not worry him, but it did, as did the unfocusing of her eyes. And he's like, I got to cut some of your hair away. And she's just kind of like placid, vague, unfocused the whole time. Right. And it's really hard to tell if this is an effect from like a concussion, if this is blood loss, if this is part of the drug. We know that she did not. Ha- ingest as much drug as right. Brashin. She only had a few sips. So as far as we know, this is just the effects of her being some, hit over the head. Some head trauma, yeah. Right. But we do know she has ingested some of the drug that makes you groggy, and she was kind of in flight or fight mode earlier, so obviously that's worn off, and the whole ordeal would be really tiring, so really unclear. It's... This part is really hard to read. This The whole rest of the chapter kind of is pretty hard to read. But this next couple part, especially so because it's so graphic in detailing. <laughs> it's a Robin Hobb book, of course. In detailing her wound. <laughs> and like I literally was reading on the couch while Luke was making dinner. And I had to. I was like, no, that's gross. I can't out loud. I was like, I can't. I can't. It's not even as graphic as some of the fit stuff in the first trilogy. And yet. She talks about how her scalp slides around. Uh, uh, that imagery right there. Oh, I hate, I hate head wounds. <laughs> I hate, oh, I hate it. I, I don't like anything <laughs> neck up that happens to people. It just, something about it is too gross for me. And I didn't like it the first time I read it. Didn't like it this time, but I actually read it this time instead of skimmed over like I do every other time I've read this. For you guys, you're welcome. <laughs> it wasn't any information I needed to know. <laughs> Brashen is treating her fairly well and knows what he's doing for head wounds, at least. He's mm-hmm. saying, uh, Althea, talk it through. Tell me everything. Trying to make her focused, make her stay lucid and awake. And he's while she's talking all of the, the details of the story through, he's... Shaving or at least cutting away part of the hair around that injury and says, you know, I'll need to sew this shut because he sees it's a a gash as long as his pinky, basically. And it's bad. Yeah, it's still pretty bad. I you say that he knows what he's doing. I don't think relatively. I mean, he's not he's not a medically trained person, (laughs) No, but he's doing the right thing in making her stay lucid and tell a story and concentrate is what I'm saying. That's fair. I was going to say, I think that gets torn away whenever he says, I have to stitch this up. And she kind of goes, uh-huh. 
And then he's like, well, it can't be that different from stitching clothes, right? Or canvas, which I think points to him not being capable of doing this. I mean, not not capable, just not knowledgeable. Yeah. But he is hyping himself up. He's getting ready to do this. He is. It can't be that bad. He's sewn canvas and clothes before. Just think of it like that. And then he goes in and he's being too gentle. It's everything's slipping around. It's wet. It's not stable. And to get it to be at a place where he can pierce her skin to start the stitches, it now is hurting her. And she's actually kind of more lucid now saying, ow, what are you doing? And pulling away. So he's not able to get her to sit still. Saying, I told you I need to stitch this shut. Oh, I wasn't listening. She rubbed at her eyes and then reached back to touch her own scalp cautiously. I suppose you do have to close it. I wish I could either pass out or wake up, she said woefully. I just feel foggy. I I hate it. And then he rummages through the medicines, trying to find something that will help. And he's like, half the containers are empty. The herbs should be green or gray, or green or brown are all gray. And some of the stuff smells like mold. Maybe it's supposed to smell like mold, Althea suggested. I don't know, he muttered. And then she says, let me look. I used to restock some of Vivacious medicines. And then looks through everything and says, yeah, nothing in here is useful. <laughs> yeah, which is a little funny. <laughs> it's Placebo that he's giving Reller for the, the pain med- medicine, uh-huh. the deer dropping. Uh-huh. Or, you know, it is helping because he gets a little bit of whiskey and that That's true. Yeah. helps in some way. I don't know. But either way, we now know that the medicine is bad. It's not actually going to do any help. And Althea has become determined that she'll just hold the wound and he will sew it. Which is another parallel to the Wintro chapter. Yeah. And especially whenever she says, well, I suppose you have to close it. And she just, well, that's how it is now. And is just chill with there being a hole in her head that is going to get fixed now and it's going to hurt. And I don't know. It is very Wintro. It's very Wintro being like, well, I don't really need the finger anymore. Like, it's fine. (laughs) I'm going to live. I have to let go of this fear. And like Wintro, whenever the wound is sewn shut, she first tells him how to do it by telling him, don't show sew it too tight. You need there to be a little bit of, it needs to be a little loose. You don't want the the pieces of skin to be lumpy. Just give it a little bit of room, but get it close enough to where it's, you know, able to heal. Yeah. And And, Brashen says he's never done it, but he's watched it a few times. Right. And then she doesn't scream or cry or pass out. She just lets it happen. Yeah. But before that, Brashen does pull out the remainder of the Sindin that he has, breaks it in two and says like, here, you have one. I'll have one. It'll wake you up a bit. It'll come back to your senses. You know, it'll just get your juices going because of the wormwood in it, everything like that. It's pretty strong stuff. Just move it around in your lip. And he watched an expression on her face slowly change and felt an answering grin spread over his own. Pretty good, huh? She gave a low laugh. Fast, too. Starts fast, ends fast. Never really saw any harm to it as long as a man was finished before he came on watch. And now we have the... This is, again, going back and forth between, like, Brashen and Captain Vestrit's philosophies on things. And Althea is subbing in for Captain Vestrit here, saying, My father said that men used it when they should have been sleeping instead. 
Then they came on watch, all used up. If they were still on it when they were working, they'd be too confident and take unneeded risks. Risk takers endanger everyone, he always said. Yes, I remember. I never used Sindon aboard the Vivacia, Althea. I respected your father too much. So they kind of get down to business of sewing her head shut then. Yeah. I do want to say that I think Brashin's lackadaisiness of this of like, well, as long as you're down from the high, by the time you get back to the ship, who cares? And Althea going into the, well, my dad said it's, you should care because like it still has to catch up to you. And if you have watched, you're not going to do it well. Or, you know, just the typical, like, don't work drugged <laughs> because it's bad. And I think it goes back to what I was saying about Brashin and his idea of luck and just like, oh, you need to be lucky. Brashin seems to treat life as though he is just a bystander. Like he, nothing he does really affects life in a strong way. It's all either luck or just, you know, some, some other outer force making something happen for him. And I think that that idea is why Brashen keeps getting sucked back into these vices to not being able to actually make meaningful changes in his life because ultimately it doesn't really feel like Brashen values the changes he can make or it feels like there's always an excuse as to why things aren't that bad and it's not really his choice to make. Yeah, for sure. That, that makes sense to me. When they're done stitching up the scalp, he tosses the needle aside, says, let go now, let me see how I did. He studies it, and his work was not wonderful, but it was holding the flesh closed. He nods his satisfaction to her. Thanks, she spoke softly. Thank you, he finally said the words. I owe you. But for you, I'd be in the hold of the jolly gal by now. He bent his head and kissed her cheek. Then her arm came up around his neck, and she turned her mouth to kiss. He lost his balance and caught himself awkwardly with one hand on the edge of the bunk, but did not break the kiss. They finally broke apart and said, Well, let's get a bandage on your head, and she nodded at him slowly. He starts to do that and says, It's the Sindon you know. She moved it in her lip. Probably, and I don't care if it is. He says it's not a good idea. It's not safe. Nothing is, she told him almost sadly. And she invites him to, to the bunk. Althea, he said softly into her hair. Althea Vestrit. And we switch over to Althea where she starts with Brash. Brash and Trell. Some small part of her could not believe that she was doing this with Brash and Trell. Not this. He was the worst possible choice for this. But too late to worry about it, she told herself. It made no sense, but she could not find the part of her that cared about such things. She's She kind of remarks on, like, just giving in to herself. She kind of kept herself so compartmentalized and impartial to things like that and separated that just, like, the human emotion and touch is very nice. Right. And that's kind of how we left off with Brashen, too, is just that she's warm and woman and willing. And it's yeah. been a really long time since he's had that. And like, there's just something nice about having human contact after a really long time without. And I'm sure also like from Althea's point of view, there's something nice about being wanted 
both Althea and Brashen, they have this this loneliness inside them. And so to find a kindred spirit and find somebody who wants them and is willing is a really nice. It's a really nice break of the yeah. loneliness. And I think that is something to be said. There is something to be said about sharing human touch. It doesn't necessarily need to be as far as what these two are doing, but I think it does go a really long way when you're really feeling down and lonely and a lot of bad things have happened to just have somebody to be able to even just hug is really nice. And so you kind of see this times a million because they're a little bit drugged up and they're (laughs) (laughs) both so touch starved and really excited. And I think maybe you're right. Maybe this does show that there was underlying feelings for Brashen all along but she kind of was pushing that away. Althea talks about how she tried to keep feelings out of the act of having sex with people, especially because of her first time having sex, that it just feels like something that she wants no feelings to be a part of. It's just something that should be an experience. And this is the first time where she is not listening to that. Yeah. She says that this is the, the part that we were talking about. Just as great was the sudden need she was admitting for this close human contact, the touching and sharing and holding. At one point, she felt tears sting her eyes and a sob shake her. She stifled it against his shoulder, almost afraid of the strength of the loneliness and fears that this coupling seemed to be erasing. For so long, she had been strong. She could not bear to display her weakness like this to anyone, let alone to someone who actually knew who she was. So she clutched him fiercely and let him believe it was part of her passion. She didn't want to think, not now. She just wanted to take what she could get for herself. Right. Yeah, it's really interesting to have this moment where with Althea and Brashen and to see Althea's side of things and how this is a really nice time to just be free from all of the weight of her life changing and her father's death and just every choice being something that needs to be judged and her not living up to expectations. And in this moment, she just gets to be herself and it's kind of more meaningful. I read it as it's more meaningful because he does know who she is and she hasn't really gotten this experience of being vulnerable with somebody who knows her. True. True. After the spell is broken for a while, she's like, let me off, get up. You're squishing me. And they are just spooning in bed. And she says, with a tenderness that horrified her, he drew the soul blanket up to drape her shoulders. Althea, he began. Don't talk, she begged him suddenly. Don't say anything. Somehow, if he spoke of what they had just done, it would make it more real, make it a part of her life that she'd have to admit to later. Now that she was satiated, her caution was coming back. This can't happen again, she told him suddenly. I know, I know. And then she talks about how his fingers are tracing down from her throat to her belly and taps at the ring and charm in her navel. That's unusual. It was a gift from my dear sister, Althea said bitterly. I, he hesitated. I thought only whores wore them, he finished lamely. lamely. That's my sister's opinion as well, Althea replied stonily. Without warning, the old hurt lashed her. So we've talked about this before, but she does have a wizardwood charm in her navel, a piercing similar to Etta. Yeah. And it's to prevent disease and pregnancy. One of the little talked about things in a traitor world 
Right. It's a known secret, I guess. Um, unclear how many of the whores in the area wear these, but it's enough that it's known as something that women do if they're a woman of the night. Like, I, I find that really interesting because especially because it is wizard wood and it's such this rare commodity. And yet here we have kind of just a jewel, a piece of jewelry that's being used by women everywhere. So I don't know, maybe it's just in the inner ring or or whatever they call their like trade route near the pirate Isles. I don't know, Maybe. but either way, it's really interesting to see that it is recognizable to Brashen. And it does also give me the thought who pierced Althea's belly button? (laughs) Because whoever it was would have known like Althea. Maybe it was Kefria. You think, I don't know. I think she just gave it to her. I don't think she would have. I don't know. Yeah. doesn't say either way. I hope she didn't do it herself. Obviously, she's fine. Didn't get infected. But like the idea of that. Ooh, yuck. I don't know. I guess sailors pierce their own ears. Can't be that different, right? (laughs) Right. So after saying that, that was her sister's opinion as well. Kind of fall quiet. And she's recognizing how comfortable it is just to sit there. Thinking that she should push his hand away. She should let this go no further than it had. Getting up and getting dressed and going back to the forecastle would be the wisest thing she could do. Getting up in the chill cabin and putting her cold, wet clothes back on. She shivered and pressed against his warmth. He shifted to put both arms around her and hold her close. Safe. And then he asks, why did she give you the wizardwood charm? She could hear the reluctant curiosity in his voice. And she replies, so I wouldn't get pregnant and shame my family or catch some disfiguring disease that would let all Bingtown know what a slut I was. She deliberately chose the hard word, spat it out at herself. He froze, then starts to massage her shoulders and neck a little bit. So she relaxes and she continues on with her story. I do just want to say that it's kind of lame that the society basically has foolproof birth control and STD protection and they're not more sex positive. Like (laughs) you literally have no consequences if you don't want them. Why are you not taking advantage of that? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Oh, the fact that they do. Chelsea leaking in, you know, I guess, but either way, it's also really sad that Althea is kind of equating herself with these negative terms that she's she's a slut and like deliberately chooses those words and is saying them at herself it i don't know it just makes me so sad especially because you find out she's only ever had sex with three people and like yeah i guess four i don't know four with brash and now and like that's not that numbers make one a slut or not a slut but like if you're going to be this old fashioned, I don't think that makes her. I don't know. It's hard because like on the one hand, that's such a dumb term. But on the other hand, clearly not. Like It's not like which even if she wanted to sleep with a new person at every port, good on her. Go for it. She's free. She's protected. I don't know. Just this like, well, I tried it a couple times. 
and it wasn't really for me. I don't like, I don't go out of my way to do it. And she's like, but I'm a slut. <laughs> like, no, you're not. Like, I don't know. I've, uh, I just feel so bad for her. Yeah. I mean, and this is the point that we see that we've talked about before, but in the books that we see is the breaking point for Kefria and Althea's friendship as sisters. Right. And that sentiment, her being a whore and a slut and shaming the family seems to come from Kefria and is the sticking point with Althea here saying it was my own fault. I should have never told her about it, but I was only 14 and I felt like I had to tell someone I couldn't tell my father, not after he discharged Devin. She goes into it saying that he was a deckhand, so handsome, always with a jest and a smile for anything, even misfortune. Nothing daunted him. He'd dare anything. And that was where he and my father differed, of course. He'd be the best deckhand on this ship if he had a common sense, Papa once told me. And he'd make a good first if he only knew when to get scared. But Devin didn't sail like that. He was always complaining that they could do more, they could do things faster. He was very fast in the rigging, kind of force the other hands to compete with him almost to complete that. But then there would be mistakes and some small injuries. And of course, her father said it was because Vivacia was a live ship. That's why there's no serious injuries. He said accidents and deaths on board a live ship are bad for the ship. The emotions are too strong. So kind of had to do something. Efren was put in a, between a rock and a hard place. Like, this is not the sailor for this ship. Right. And it's not safe. You don't want somebody who's creating an unsafe work environment to stay and rub off on the crew long term. Right. And okay. Brashen says, I think he was right. And Althea, in annoyance, is like, I know he was right, but I was 14. Right. And like, he was so handsome. <laughs> he was cute and he was fun. And he used to tell me stories and it felt like he'd been everywhere in the world. Yeah. And he'd had this little disdainful little smile at the corner of his mouth. Sometimes just that look could make my father furious with him. But I'm afraid I thought it was adorable, daring, mocking danger. I believed he could do no wrong. Oh, I was in love. And Brashen kind of jumps, jumps the gun here saying, And he acted on that? When you were 14 on your father's ship? That's far past the line of daring into stupidity. No, it wasn't like that, Althea spoke reluct reluctantly. She thinks that she doesn't want to tell them him this, but somehow she could not stop. Because she, like, beforehand was saying, like, I wish I could tell somebody. Right. But I couldn't tell my father, <laughs> so I had to tell my sister. <laughs> right. So this is the first person besides Kefria that she's told. Yeah, and... I don't know, I just feel so sorry for Althea, because Brashen has it right. Like, he acted on a 14 year old's feelings and we don't know how old Devin is. It's never said right. obviously older than Althea and old enough to not be a deck boy. Yeah. Ship's boy, ship's which is boy, yeah. seems to be from 10 to 13, 14, maybe. Right. So, so I'm guessing probably mid to upper teens. For Devin, probably like 18. best case yeah. scenario. <laughs> it, none of it's good case scenario, but best case scenario, he's like yeah. 15 and he's probably not 15. Yeah, he's probably older than 15. <laughs> but either way, Devin decides, like Brashen says, to act on 
Althea's feelings for him. And Althea in her description is even kind of protecting him a little bit, saying like, yeah, he jo- he flirted with me, but in a joking way, you know, so I could treasure his words even if I knew he didn't mean them. Right. And there's a lot of Althea trying to push back and make this, Devin's not a bad guy. He, it was mostly me and this is what I did. And I think what's the worst about this is that, like, clearly this is after years of holding this in on top of the first person she's told reaction to call her a slut and living with that guilt. Right. And nothing was said about him being the bad guy according, like at least that we know. And so she just had to sit on this years and years of her thinking, well, I'm the slut because I said yes. And I, was okay with it. And even if I didn't know what was going on, like I was willing. So it wasn't anything bad, but it really kind of feels like one of those things where she just has so much guilt around it that I don't know how clearly she's remembering it or how objective she can look at this. And it's clearly not something she wants to spend a lot of time thinking about because who would, but it has made an effect on her And it has affected her relationship with her sister. And the worst part is that when he was done, he told her, I hope you never forget this, Althea, because I know I won't. And then walks away and she finds out that he had been discharged from her father's ship. Right. Yeah. And Brashen chimes like he raped you and she denies it. Right. Along with that same thinking of like internalizing a lot of stuff like, no, 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 I wanted it. I confessed my love to him. And then I realized that, you know, Papa had fired him as soon as we had docked. And this was the night that they had docked there. And she was had the watch on on ship. Right. And her Papa was off on shore. So she was alone and that was her chance. And Brashen, after this whole story, lets out a groan. He's like, oh, no. Taking you was his revenge against your father. She spoke slowly. I never thought of it quite that way. I always thought that it was just something he dared to do, reckoning he wouldn't get caught. She forced herself to ask him, You really think it was revenge? Sounds like it to me, Brashen said quietly. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard, he added softly. Devin, if I ever meet him, I'll kill him for you. The sincerity in his voice startled her. So, yeah, Brashen instantly recognizes, like, this dude is a piece no of trash. good. Yeah. Like, literally. <laughs> is a burning piece of garbage. <laughs> Death penalty. Like, <laughs> ugh. It's not, I don't know. Taking advantage of someone that young who doesn't really know what they were confessing. Right. It's, it does make me think of. Malta? Does make me think okay. of Malta a little bit. You were, you were Sorry. thinking really hard for that. I one. could not think of her name. We read the chapter and you instantly put her <laughs> name out of your head. Yeah, I was like, no, not today. <laughs> uh, it does make me think of Malta in that there is this young girl who curious wants, about things. Yeah, yeah, wants love, knows that there is something to love and adult relationships, doesn't quite know everything. It's a little sheltered. There is no Full knowledge, and yet 
doesn't quite understand the dangers of actions and of not knowing. And we're kind of let down by the adults in their lives by not being told the real dangers, right? Like, I don't know if Althea could have made a different choice or if this would have gone differently, if she would have been less sheltered, there's no way to tell. And I mean, honestly, in my opinion, a 14 year old can't make an informed choice anyway. So like whether or not she knew what sex was, I don't think her saying yes to that is consent anyway. So like she doesn't know what she's consenting to. Right. And it's just really sad that what she took away from this is that she is dirty and that she is in the wrong and that that's something that she needs to be ashamed of. And that was reinforced when she got back to Bingtown and brought it to the only person she could talk to, her married sister, Kefria. Right. And she says that the reason she talked to her is because she had convinced herself that she had to be pregnant, that she just knew she was and she needed to tell her sister And Kefria's response was to cry and say that she's ruined their family name. Said that Althea herself was ruined forever. A slut and a whore and a shame to the family name. So not even just the family name, just like, you're done. Like, that's it. She stopped speaking to me. Four or five days later, my blood days came right on time. I found her alone and told her and told her if she ever told Papa or Mama, I'd say she was lying because I was so scared. From all she had said, I was sure they'd throw me out and never have love me again if they knew. Hadn't she promised not to tell? I didn't trust her to keep her word. I was already pretty sure she'd told Kyle from the way he started treating me, but she didn't yell at me or anything. She hardly spoke at all when she gave me the navel ring. Just told me that if I wore it, I wouldn't get pregnant or diseased, and that it was the least that I owed my family. It was never the same after that between us. We learned to be civil to one another, mostly to stop our parents from asking questions. But I think that was the worst summer of my life. Betrayal on top of betrayal. This part makes me so incredibly sad because... Should be the support system. It should be. Like, who else is she going to turn to? And the fact that the first thing Kefria does is say, you've ruined your life and our family name, and then stops talking to her. And on top of that tells Kyle, who is not even a family member. Well, like, to Kefra, yes. <laughs> I mean, sure. But like, yeah. Uh, and of course, then Kyle is the worst and is like, yeah, she's sleeping around all the time because that's who she is. And it's probably Kyle's idea to get her the the navel ring, navel ring to keep her safe or whatever, which how does he know about that? First of all, <laughs> Second of all, I just, it's so sad to me that Kefria's response was, well, since you're a whore now, you might as well be a safe whore. And it's like, she's your 14 year old sister. Like, where's the compassion? Where is the, like, I can't believe he did that to you. Why is this a her fault thing? And like, obviously the society that they live in is going to be more harsh towards Althea. And Kefria really leans into that society. Yeah. And she heavily believes in a woman's role in a woman's place, clearly. But just to see that, like, when her family needed her, Kefria's response was to go tell Kyle and also to yell at her sister who was 14. It's gross. And I guess we don't know how old 
she was here. But I think there's there's at least a a 10 year age gap, maybe about 10 years between the two. So I would guess maybe 24. I mean, yeah, I guess Althea is what, 18 now and Wintrow is 18 or 19. Yeah. Wintrow's like 12. Almost a year. Wintrow is 13, maybe 14. So like she'd had kids before, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like she was young. Right. (laughs) I don't know. At this point, she should have had uh, Wintrow and Malta, I believe. Maybe Selden? I, eh, it's cutting it close. I don't want to do the math that closely That's if it's fair. 10 years. <laughs> That's fair. Either way, it's yeah. just not great that, that that was the reaction. That that. Yeah. I, I guess, for all we know, this happened around the same time as Kefria's. Um, what they called her miscarriage, or what Kyle thinks of as her miscarriage. Right. That we know as the baby that was not human. Yep. So maybe that is affecting her reaction. Maybe not at all. Maybe that's just who Kefria was in that moment in time. Either way, it's disappointing. And now Althea is living with the, the echoes of that in thinking that she's a bad person or having sex. (laughs) Yeah. And what you were talking about really comes up in conversation with Brash in here that, yeah, she has sex twice um, other than that. And it was just kind of like keeping her personal feelings unattached to anything to do with that, saying that, you know, it was all right. Brashen lifted his head to look into her eyes. You call this all right? Another truth she didn't want to part with. She felt like she was giving away a weapon. This was not all right. This was this has been what it was always supposed to be. It was never like this before for me. And then because she could not bear the softness that had come into his eyes, she had to add, maybe it was the Sindin. And then kind of switches tax and like, it made little sores in my mouth. Why? Why'd yeah. you give me the Sindin? <laughs> <laughs> She's like trying to get away from the uncomfortableness. And to be fair, that is something that he pulled after their kiss. To begin with, of like, oh, it's probably Sindin. Like, definitely ruins the mood. <laughs> definitely not something that somebody would want to hear. But she's changing the subject now. She's been too vulnerable and she needs to yep. get out of this. Yeah. And his grip on her loosened during this talk. Sindin was wearing off and she was suddenly sleepy. She should get up. Cold room, wet clothes. In a minute. In a minute, she'd have to get up and go back to being alone. I have to go if we get caught like this. I know, he said, but he didn't move. Brashen, you know this can't happen again. I know. I know, he breathed the words against her skin as he kissed the back of her neck slowly. This can't happen again. No more. No more after this last time. They both don't want to part. They both are craving that human touch and the vulnerability that comes with it. There's nothing in it truly about feelings really from Althea's part, because she's like in her description of herself, at least she could be lying to herself, but it's like, she's giving away a weapon saying that it was great. You know, like all of this, like I still don't want to say to myself that I like Brashen. But in the descriptions of Brashen from her point of view, his eyes are going really soft. He's really tender. He's like very vulnerable and, and open with her. 
Well, at the start of her point of view for them having sex, it does say that this is the first time since her first time that she's been with somebody that she actually had feelings for. True. Yeah. So I think that's an admission of like, there's something there. To be fair, it's the first time that she's with somebody who also knows who she is. Right. So I guess that might, maybe that's more part of it. I don't know. But it does feel a little like this is such a fragile moment here and she's so afraid of it coming back to bite her in the butt again that she just kind of wants to be away so that it can just be like a happy memory instead of something that might hurt her. And they both throw up the walls of Sindon. Like this is just the drugs talking, you know? Yeah. Instead of just being able to say, Hey, maybe we have feelings for each other. We're grownups and we're going to act on those. It has to be behind the layer of like, well, we're only doing this because we're on drugs. So, but in the follow-ups, it is still dangerous because they are still away from home port. (laughs) Yes. Also dangerous because as Brashen said, he can't make, he has made it clear that he doesn't like men. And so he can't be seen with her who everyone thinks is a man. Right. Because then people will think that he either is a liar or is taking advantage of the ship's boy or maybe she's not a man. Yeah. And so it's like dangerous for Althea's safety too. Yeah. So lots to uh, delve into in the later chapters for that. Yeah. We had uh, some pretty good conversations about Althea's psyche and Brashen's carelessness with his luck and his drifting <laughs> through life. So if you have thoughts on those things, please let us know. Email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com. Is there anything else you want to add to the end of this chapter before mm. we close it out? No, I think I think I said most of what I wanted to say. Just yeah. sad for Althea. I am glad that her and Brashen are progressing more in their relationship and are able to find solace in one another. On this reread, it it felt to me at least, and the other times through from what I was remembering of the books that like it dragged on forever when they were like, we don't like each other phase. (laughs) So in this reread, it felt actually paced pretty well to me. I don't know about you. It didn't seem to drag out too much. Yeah, I feel like the amount of hate that they had for each other at the beginning of the book has very much softened, but I'm not sure if that's because it's been like, I don't know, at least a year. Almost a year, maybe. Yeah. I mean, not fully, I guess, because they they came back into town around spring, right? Something like that. I don't know. And then sailed out in autumn and it's winter. He did say, Brashen did say in this chapter that he couldn't believe a sharp-tongued girl had lips this soft or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know. I don't know. It's very, I'm a big fan of the enemies to lovers trope, so (laughs) I personally love it, like, outside of this literary analysis space yeah but in the literary analysis space where i'm a little bit more critical and like i don't know i wasn't saying in terms of like time it seemed oh, to drag. Sure. i was just saying like in terms of reading the book mm-hmm. in my previous rereads i'm like this is lasting forever 
No, I like think they hate each other. But maybe, maybe they go. I don't remember. They what go back happens. to not liking each other. Yeah, I think they go back and forth a little bit before finally in like later books. So. Like admitting their. Yeah. I think it's mid next book when they're okay. like back to being lovey-dovey well we'll have to wait a little bit to get to that uh if you have thoughts on anything please email us isfitsappy at gmail.com or you can message us directly at facebook instagram or twitter still for now (laughs) (laughs) or it is fits happy at all three of those and you can subscribe to our youtube if you would like to listen to our episodes on youtube we're at youtube.com slash at isfitshappy the at sign is fits happy so thanks so much for tuning in hope to uh, hear from you guys and hope to see you next week okay so this week we get to talk a lot about wizardwood actually and paragon in general a little bit vivacia <laughs> And how Wizardwood may or may not work. So we got a couple interesting thoughts. I asked with last episode on social media what you guys thought the difference was between Amber's handling of the one chunk of Wizardwood, which she felt malice from, and then touching Paragon and not mentioning feeling the malice. And... There's really interesting theories floating around that maybe it is something to do with the fact that Paragon is shaped or connected. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Like he, he was awakened, you know, he and his two dragons Mm -hmm. have a personality to them or multiple in, in terms of Paragon, I guess. But yeah, Jonas kind of talks about that a little bit in an email saying that, you know, live ships come to life and quote, invent for themselves a personality while deep down they're actually dragons and that knowledge is buried within them. They don't know it though. So they believe the lie that they're a live ship mixed with the memory of the people that died on them. So maybe the wood itself doesn't see itself as evil while the chopped up bits are just leftover bits of memory that feel off. Uh, and I think that's kind of ties in a little bit to what a comment we got on our Instagram from Alex Berkeley saying, you know, because Paragon and his dragons kind of consented to be shaped. Well, I don't think they necessarily consented to be shaped. It They do have an established identity together and it's right. all hidden behind who Paragon is. I guess we don't know. Actually, I can't say that. I was going to say we don't know if the chunk had come off of a, an actual live ship, but I don't think they would get off alive if they tried to right. to do any chunk of live ship. So it must be from some dead log somewhere that is not shaped yet. Right. And so I like that theory. Yeah, that maybe it's just because there's too much going on in there. Um, I was also wondering after the episode, because I kept thinking about it, I was wondering if potentially the reason there was malice is because the person who had been holding the wood had rubbed off on. Yeah, you mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, how maybe like the personality of the person. That's why Amber felt the malice because that was just the most recent thing to soak in. Because obviously if this person has wizard wood, they're not just going to go to the first person they see the second they get it. They're probably going to hold on to it for a while and try to make it into something. 
Um, but that also kind of leads me down this path that I think is really interesting that um, a reader or a listener, Melissa, gave us. And they were thinking, what if the person who tried to get Amber to carve the wizard wood was Kennet? Or and an associate of Kennet's. Or an associate of Kennet's that was just trying to get a feel for, you know, like if Amber would do it, number one, and number two, if she could. And and his banner is a raven and they wanted it carved in the shape of a bird. So right. maybe. Maybe. Um, it does then fit more with the person holding on to it has malice. Yeah. Um, but Melissa also made the comment that then potentially it is a chunk of Paragon that Kenneth has kept, like that Kenneth brought with to kind of like, maybe that's where he even got the wizard wood, which I love. And Melissa said is kind of a more of a tinfoil hat theory. And I think it's very funny, but I do think Kenneth specifically says that he had to go out of his way to find yeah. a supplier of the wizard wood. I was going to say that too. So yeah. I don't think that's the case, but I also absolutely love it. And so <laughs> I will keep that in my heart as a little like side canon. <laughs> I really do like that. Yeah, it's definitely a fun theory. I just, I like it based on if it's awakened versus not, I think personally mm -hmm. for me, because that just leans more towards like, this is how the magic works versus it just absorbs everything, even before it's carved, before right. there's any sort of human shaping to it. That's fair. So the... The fact that, you know, an established identity from an awakened live ship is going to feel like an actual being because they have been established into a being. The amalgamation of all the different kinds of memories, the different people's lives that have been absorbed into them have created this facade that leads that hunk of wood. And the dead logs, the logs that are just sitting there, or the cocoons that are dead that are just sitting there just have the latent memories that are not hidden by a facade that are just kind of like waiting to be consumed and be born into the next dragon just unrealized. So when a hunk of that is chopped off, I like that to feel a little bit more off or like malice or evil. That's fair. I guess it does also make me think of when Fitz sees the stone dragon for the first time in the garden where he feels like there's something evil or off about it or girl on dragon. Even I think he talks about the feeling that it emits is such a strong sense of woe and like misery, like misery. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of wonder if it's something in that vein of like, it's just so unnatural that that's the first knee-jerk reaction. That's just like the closest human emotion. Could be, yeah. Malice. They're also, I was also wondering if maybe Wizardwood is alive in some way. And so it can feel that whoever took this chunk, even if it wasn't the person giving Amber the chunk to carve, could just feel that whoever had cut up the piece was taking away the life of a dragon and that which is evil in its act. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm just wondering if maybe that like it somehow knows that it's wrong because they talk about how live ships are alive in their own way. Like even before Vivacia awoke, Vivacia had feelings and the Vestrits right. could kind of feel that. And so I wonder if it's something in that line of like, sure it's not awakened. It's not a fully realized person, but 
the fact that it was taken from its like intended purpose mm-hmm. brings it malice. I don't know. Yeah. So really cool thoughts and theories on that. And the, the thing about live ships feelings really does lead into something else. Melissa talked about in her email saying that uh, when on our conversation, when we were talking about, you know, how does a live ship actually feel, you know, when we're talking about Paragon with the cold and the wet, Melissa is likening it to something while you, what you feel in dreams basically, which kind of, you know, lends credence to the dragons dreaming in the book as well. But our brains know what it is to be warm and cozy or wet and cold or anything like that. And in our dreams, we go through those sensations, but when we wake up, it's just kind of like, I remember I felt those things. And that's what Melissa's kind of thinking is happening with the live ships. It's just like, yeah, I once had a memory that I experienced or knew what this felt like kind of thing. Yeah. I think, I think I really like this explanation, um, especially as somebody who has a lot of vivid dreams. Um, it really like felt like, oh yeah, I guess that does make sense because where else would you have a sensation without the sensation? And I don't know. I think that does help understand why he'd be like, I'm shivering and I'm like getting the wet off me, but I don't actually feel it. I just know the ghost of what it was supposed Mm -hmm. to be. And Melissa also mentions that subconsciously, since they are dragons sleeping in there, that the feeling, you know, regardless of any of the other stuff of, you know, knowing kind of what it feels like based on the previous live that they have soaked into them for the live ships, Mm -hmm. dragons have scales and that would feel a lot different than, you know, the same sorts of sensations on skin. True. So kind of conflicting memories in them as well. Yeah, to their point. own sort of feeling. So thanks for that. That was fun as well. Yeah. The last thing that Melissa does talk about in this email is Kyle. Well, we won't spend a ton of time on it because it's basically in line with our thinking of a of a hate rant. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Talk, talking about how he he's so stubborn and set in his ways and the only affection that he has is if he can control somebody and now with Wintro saying I'm a vestrit and having you know Vivacia having all of the vestrits in her the memories there that maybe he's rethinking everything right now he's like this would be really easy it's just a ship I can sail it but everything is kind of going against him at this point. Right. But then also maybe feeling better about like, I don't have to, I don't have to pretend to hope for my son that he's going to turn out to be a strong man. I can just be who I am and fully hate all of the vestrits, including my wife, because she's the weak one who sent him to a monastery. Right. So yeah, just a full on Kyle sucks post, which I totally agree with Melissa. (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's a hard one to feel any sympathy for. And I really truly feel like last chapter, his shock at his son needing to have his finger chopped off. That is like the only glimmer of some type of sympathy that that I will ever feel for him or try to point out with. I think the rest of the time there's no, there's no turning back. I think 
Kyle in this point in time has dug his heels into the sand and has decided, okay, if you want to be a Vestrit, I'll treat you like I would treat a Vestrit. And <laughs> that is just kind of how things go from here on out. So. So thank you everyone who has written in and who has given us your thoughts. As always, we enjoy hearing from you and love to hear your theories. 